0: you become like who you hang out with. This is something that my parents used to always say to me when I was growing up. And in the summer of 1996, I realized that this was true because this was the summer when my friends and I lit the forest on fire while we were at Boy Scout camp. Luckily, the fire was contained and I didn't do any jail time, just some community service. But see, this fire was not Just a coincidence. It wasn't something that spontaneously happened. There had been a process, a long process, for a few years that led up to this forest fire. And the process went something like this. See, first, I started to spend a lot of time with my friends in Boy Scouts on our camping trips, at our Boy Scout meetings that we would have during the week. And as I spent time with them, I began to be influenced by them. And I started to become like them, to like some of the same things and activities. And my behavior changed. And that then led me to participate in what these friends like to do. Specifically, pyromania. They they like to play with fire, and I joined in with them. And trust me, this forest fire that we lit was definitely not our first fire. We had lit many other fires, but we were able to contain them. But this one got out of hand. I became like who I hang out with. I became like my friends, and I was formed by them. This is a picture of discipleship. So far, we've been in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, what we've seen is who Jesus is. But now today, as we conclude chapter 1 of John's Gospel, we shift our focus not so much on who Jesus is, but what it means to be his disciples. And we're going to see three things as we come to the end of John chapter 1 today. That being a disciple of Jesus means being with him. Becoming like him and participating in what he does and so let's pick up here in John chapter 1 verse 35 The next day again John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said behold the Lamb of God Be with Jesus, because he is the God who invites us to abide in him. See what what we see happen here is John the Baptist is with his disciples again and he sees Jesus and he says, hey Jesus is walking by, look guys, that's the Lamb of God, behold. And there's two of John's disciples. This, this is Andrew and then John. It's the unnamed disciple in the Gospel of John that many commentators would say is John himself who wrote the Gospel. And so we're going to say that this is Andrew and John who wrote the Gospel, whose curiosity is now piqued. And they say, you know, we're going to go check out this guy, Jesus. And so they start walking behind him. They start following him. But Jesus knows they're following him, and so he turns around and he says, what are you guys seeking? But what Jesus really wants to know is, Andrew and John, what is it that you guys are really wanting in life? See, it's the same question that every single one of us who begins to follow Jesus has to ask ourselves, what do we really want in life? Because when we follow Jesus, it radically reorients our entire lives around him and his purpose. And so Jesus wants them to ask the question, to answer the question that he asks, what is it that you're really wanting? See, and the disciples respond and they say, Rabbi, teacher, we want to know where you're staying. But see, the verb there for staying is abiding. What Andrew and John are asking Jesus is, Jesus, where are you abiding? See, this is a fascinating question because it's a much much deeper question than just saying, Jesus, where are you sleeping tonight? Where are you abiding? Abiding. See, abiding is a dominant theme in John's gospel. Throughout the entire gospel, we see this theme of abiding popping up. And and it comes to a pinnacle in John chapter 15 with the vine and the branches where Jesus says, abide in me and I in you so that you may bear much fruit, that you would produce fruit by abiding in me. But also in John 17 at Jesus' high priestly prayer, it's filled with abiding language. And so, Jesus responds to their question, you want to know where I'm abiding? I have an invitation for you. Come and see. See, Jesus' invitation to Andrew and John is not that they would take a quick peek at the Airbnb that he's staying at. That's not what Jesus' invitation is here at all. Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to come and abide in me. Would you be with me? Would you share in my life? And would you remain in me? See, Jesus is willing to receive Andrew and John, not only into the place where he's staying, but into his life, that he would share in his life with them. And the interesting thing is, with Jesus' invitation to remain in him, that's exactly what these disciples do, is they remain in Jesus. Because from this point on, they are his disciples. See, Jesus has a beautiful invitation for us today. His same invitation stands that we would come and see, that we would abide in him. See, the very God who created us has now moved into our neighborhood, and he is inviting us over to his house to stay with him and to be with him that we would encounter his very presence and remain there. See, Jesus welcomes us in the midst of our mess. He welcomes us in the midst of our brokenness. He welcomes us in the midst of our pain, As we have bandages from the lives that we've lived, that are still on and still healing, Jesus welcomes us, and he welcomes us in spite of our sin. See, his invitation is extended to you this morning jesus is saying come and abide in me that i can minister to you if you have bandages on please come and let me take the bandages off let me cleanse your wounds so that you may be healed and may experience life with me but see there's one problem there's other invitations there's other invitations in our world There are other things that are saying, come and see, that we live in a come and see culture, a visual society where everywhere we look, there are invitations for us to come and see. See, I think about um, the things in our society. There's things like Netflix, where Netflix has so much content for us to binge watch how many of us have in have accepted the invitation to come and see netflix where we actively participate as we binge watch hours of netflix how many of us have abided in netflix in the last few months or the low-hanging fruit is our phone these rectangles that are attached to our body most of the time that are constantly inviting us to come and see because there's unending number of apps from media to news to sports to social media, whatever it may be, how many of us spend hours of our day abiding in a screen? See, I'm not demonizing these things. These are good gifts from God that we can enjoy. But see, the danger is with our come and see society, When things invite us in, we don't realize the power of the invitation when we accept the invite. And there's a warning for us. Are we abiding in these things instead of Jesus? Are we abiding in Netflix instead of Jesus or whatever it may be? Let us abide in Jesus. See, during these last few months of COVID-19, these have been complex times. And many of us have felt overwhelmed. We feel emotionally spent. Because everything going on in our lives and in our world and in our society, we have felt frustrated, scared, confused, genuinely sad. And this has led, from the numerous conversations that I've had over the last number of months, it's led people to feel spiritually paralyzed. A spiritual paralysis where many of us haven't even known how to engage with God during this time. We haven't had words to express our emotion or maybe even our frustration with how things are going. And maybe we're frustrated with God. And so maybe you have tapped out on God and you have kind of felt distant from him. You may be feeling guilty if that's you this morning if you have felt this spiritual paralysis and you've just been checked out, there's good news for you. Because the same invitation from Jesus to come and see, the invitation to abide in him stands here ready for you today. Would you come and would you let him minister to you in the midst of where you are? In the midst of whatever emotions or pain you're feeling, Jesus is saying, come and abide in me. How do we abide in Jesus? See, there's a lot of different ways that we can do this. But I'm going to mention three practices briefly. First is through his word. God primarily speaks to us through his word. And we're going through the Gospel of John together at Redemption. And it's an amazing time to read through the Gospel of John to encounter Jesus. We have the John Resource Study Guide that's available online that can help you do that. But God speaks to us through his word and we abide in him through his word. The second one is prayer. And there's many different kinds of prayer, types of prayer, but we are focusing on a a practice called conversational prayer, where regardless of if you've prayed for years or if you've never prayed to God before, child or adult alike, that this is a simple way to have conversations with Jesus, to abide in him. And lastly is Sabbath, that we press pause on our work and the busyness of our life one day out of the week so we can encounter the very presence of Jesus and abide in him. The beautiful thing about these practices is that they're not just meant to be done individually. Andrew and John came to Jesus together and abided in him together. That these can be communal ways that you can abide in Jesus. And so the discussion question that I, that I want you to talk about, whether you're on Zoom this morning, whether you're watching this with your redemption community or some friends or your family, or even if you're by yourself to reflect on, talk about this question. What are some of the things that prevent you from abiding in Jesus? Let's continue here in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. This is Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought his brother to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. See, we become like who we hang out with. And the next thing we see about disciples is disciples become like Jesus because we are formed as we follow him. See, Jesus' invitation to Andrew and John changes them. They spend a few hours with Jesus, and they're absolutely convinced that he is the Messiah. And so they rush out and say, we have found the Messiah. See, when they spent time with the come and see God, it has turned them into come and see people, which is the right and natural response to when you encounter the very presence and power of Jesus. It makes you want to share it with others, and so that's what they do. Andrew goes to his brother Simon and he says, Simon, Simon, come here, you've got to see this. We found the Messiah. And Jesus looks at Simon and he says, Simon, you have a new name and you have a new identity. Your name is no longer Simon, you will be called Peter. Because what Jesus is telling him is, Peter, as you follow me, I'm going to form you into the very identity that I gave you. Your name means the rock. That's what Peter means. It's not like Dwayne Johnson, the rock. He ripped that off from Peter. Um, But Jesus is saying, I'm giving you this name and identity, the rock. And as you follow me, I'm going to form you into the rock because I'm going to build my church through you. See, as we follow Jesus... He forms us. He's like a sculptor with a chisel, and he's chiseling away at the parts of our life because he is making us more into who he wants us to be. And so after Jesus gives Peter his name, he continues on in verse 43, and he goes to Galilee. He goes to Galilee, and he, fi- he finds Philip. It says, he found Philip and said to Philip, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the same city as Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael says to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. See, we're formed as we follow him. And so Jesus invites Philip to follow him. He says, Follow me, Philip. But this is not just an invitation to see where Jesus is going. The verb here, to follow, means to follow as a disciple. Jesus is saying, Philip, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me as an apprentice. But what does it mean to be an apprentice? See, there's many different industries and vocations that have apprenticeships attached to them in our society today. These are usually trades, things like carpentry, plumbing, masonry, hairdressing, tattooing, all of these have apprenticeships attached to them. See, right after I got out of high school, I went to hair school to become a hairdresser. And when I finished hair school, I got a job at a salon that had an apprenticeship program as a part of their hiring process, where everybody that got hired at this salon had to be an apprentice for six to nine months. They did this apprenticeship before they could ever take any clients of their own on the salon floor. And so I was an apprentice. And while I was an apprentice, I worked under and watched the senior level, master level hairdressers of that salon. See, the goal of this apprenticeship would be that I would learn the way of hairdressing, that I would learn the way of the salon. And I did this by six months of observing, of shadowing of listening, of obeying. When they told me to do something, I did it, of imitating their techniques of how to cut hair, of imitating the ways in which they engaged their client to have good customer service. See, my apprenticeship at the salon ended after six months. But our apprenticeship with Jesus as his disciples doesn't end because we are not just learning the way of one particular industry. What we are doing as Jesus' disciples is we are learning the way of Jesus. We're learning the way of his kingdom that encompasses every single area of life. See as the first disciples began to follow Jesus, they're going to learn the way of Jesus. That this is an alternative way of life. It's an alternative way to the ways of the world in which they were accustomed, in which they were used to, because they were going to learn the way of God's kingdom, the way of Jesus. As his apprentices, they would follow him, they would listen to him, they would imitate him, and ultimately they would become like him through their apprenticeship, because they were formed by the very way of Jesus, by the very words of Jesus, and by by the very works of Jesus. See, but as we think about discipleship within the church, especially here in America, there's a problem that arises. Because many times for Christians, we think that discipleship only happens within the church. Meaning, if we're not doing Christian activities, going to church on a Sunday, being in a small group, going to a Bible study, and and praying to God on your own, if we're not doing these things, then we oftentimes think we're just not being discipled as if discipleship doesn't happen in our society, as if we aren't being shaped and formed and discipled by the very culture that we live in. See, the reality is we are all being discipled by something into the image of something. And our powerful come-and-see culture that we live in is not only inviting us to abide, but is also discipling us. And I think, again, about uh, the, the iPhone and the ways for myself, how Apple has discipled me in the way of discontentment. Because every year they release a new iPhone, and as soon as that new iPhone comes out, I believe that my old iPhone is now obsolete. It's a piece of junk, and I need to have the latest and the greatest. That is what Apple wants me to believe, and it's actually rubbed off on me. But see, there's so many things in our culture that have shaped us and formed us. When we think about what is the good life and when we think about image and beauty and we go on to Instagram for social media and we scroll through life in pictures, we're seeing that this is what beauty looks like. We're seeing that this is the good life that I need to aspire to or for advertising and marketing that tell us this is the good life and you need this product or you need this service in order to attain the good life. And it disciples us in the way of discontentment so that we would overconsume and overspend and not be good stewards of what God's given us. Or for many of us, especially in the last few months with the media. And many of us have spent hours and hours of our lives viewing and reading and watching media, but the media is discipling us to some end, especially when we live in a very polarized time. The media is telling us who our enemy is, and it's the other, and the enemy is telling us this is the kind of rhetoric that you should have against the other. How you should treat your so-called enemy, the media is discipling us in that narrative or even for Netflix as they've put out so much content during COVID-19 quarantine. The question is how many, of our, how many of our views about sexuality and relationships have been shaped by Netflix instead of by Jesus and his word? See, our apprenticeship with Jesus never ends because we need to follow him daily as his disciples. As we follow him, We are formed by him, and we become more like him. And so the next discussion question that I want you all to discuss with whoever you're with this morning is this. What is something in our culture that has shaped and formed you? So go ahead and discuss that now. Let's continue here in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So the last thing we see today about discipleship, being a disciple means participating with Jesus because when you follow him, you will see heaven and earth meet. And so in these last four verses, these can be very confusing because you have fig trees, you have Nathanael, you have angels ascending and descending. What is going on? See, Philip goes and grabs Nathanael, says, come and see. But now Nathanael is Doubtful, And he says, nothing good can come from Nazareth. That's that's a poor, small village a few miles outside of my hometown of Cana. There's no way anything good is coming from there. But now Jesus seemingly commends Nathanael's brutal honesty. And he says, I've found a true Israelite. What's Jesus talking about? See, he's referring back to the Old Testament, to Jacob. Jacob's name becomes Israel, and if you know the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob was a liar. He was deceitful. And so what Jesus is saying is, Nathanael is honest. He's not like Jacob. He's not a liar, but he's honest. And so he says, here's a true Israelite, and you know what, Nathanael? I actually saw you under the fig tree before Philip got you. See, it's important that we understand that this fig tree is very symbolic in the Old Testament, especially for Israel. See, a fig tree, there was a custom that came out of Micah chapter 4, specifically verse 4, that the people of Israel had a custom that they would sit under fig trees and pray, but they would pray for something specific. They would pray for the Messiah to come. And so what Jesus is saying here is, Nathaniel, I saw you sitting under that fig tree, which I know you were praying for the Messiah to come, and what you need to know is this right here, standing before you, is the fulfillment of your very prayers. That there's a long-awaited, long-hoped-for, and longed prayed for Messiah who is here. The messianic age has come in me, Nathaniel, and you need to know that. But even more than that, Nathaniel, I, have come for renewed Israel in which you are a representative, Nathanael. And as soon as Jesus tells him this, Nathanael responds and confesses faith. He says, I believe. He says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. See, what happens is Nathanael is pierced to his core by Jesus's knowledge in the same way that the Samaritan woman at the well is pierced to her core when Jesus tells her that he knows that she has had five husbands and that's the catalyst to her faith. This right here is the catalyst to Nathanael's confession of faith for his salvation and then what Jesus says is, okay, Nathanael, I want you to join me. I want you to join me. I want you to participate in what I'm doing as my disciple. If you believe that I am the king of Israel, this is what's about to happen. And he tells him in verse 50 and 51, he says, you are gonna see greater things than these. Get ready, put your seatbelt on Nathanael, because what's about to happen is you're going to see seven signs that we're gonna look at throughout John's gospel here. And you're gonna see these seven signs. But Jesus also refers back to these angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, on him. What is he talking about? So he's talking about Jacob once again, referring back to a very famous, well-known dream that Jacob had in Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, that Jacob dreamed that there was a ladder that was coming down from heaven and there was angels that were ascending and descending from heaven on this ladder. And what Jesus is saying to Nathanael is, Nathanael, Remember that dream that Jacob had about that ladder, with angels ascending and descending? That dream has now become a reality in me, that God has descended down the ladder, God has come to be with his people, and what you're going to see is angels ascending and descending on me, the Son of Man, Jesus, you're going to see heaven and earth meet in me. Nathanael. And so Jesus is saying, when you follow me, Nathanael, you're about to see heaven and earth meet. You're about to see what it looks like when these two things meet. And this is what you're going to see. You're going to see water turn to wine in the very next verse back in your hometown. You're going to see a young boy who is healed. You're going to see a man who is disabled, who is restored. You're going to see 5,000 people fed. You're going to see a man who is born blind, whose sight is restored. You're going to see a man named Lazarus, who is raised from the dead. And you're going to see me, the son of man, who's crucified, but on the third day comes back to life in the resurrection, and I usher in new life. Nathaniel, get ready. I want you to participate in what I'm about to do. Join me, Nathaniel join me. See, but I, what I love is that the you in verse 50, you are going to see greater things, is that's not just directed to Nathaniel? That is plural. And it means the disciples are going to see this. But what it also means is that every follower of Jesus is going to see this. That you and I, as disciples of Jesus, that when we follow Jesus, he invites us to join in with him and participate in what he's doing. That we will see heaven and earth meet. That we will see shalom on earth. That Jesus is going to create these pockets of heaven on earth through the way that he engages. And we'll see it in all seven signs of John's gospel. When heaven and earth meet, we see that there's renewal. We see that there's reconciliation. We see that there's restoration, and it's not just spiritual, but it's physical. It's social. It's emotional. It's psychological. And yes, it's absolutely spiritual, but restoration happens. See, as Jesus' disciples for us, Jesus has given us the very presence and power of his Holy Spirit so that we can join with him and participate in what he is doing in the world. We do this through our life, our words, and our deeds, through the lives we live, through the words we speak, and through the actions we do. See, as I was preparing this sermon, praying and reflecting and thinking, you guys, you all, Redemption Tempe, kept coming to mind that God kept reminding me of ways that you all have participated in the work that Jesus is doing in the world. One of the reasons why I love being a pastor at Redemption is because of the ways that you faithfully join in what Jesus is doing. And some of the things that came to mind that I've seen and that I've heard over the last few years is the ways that you all have prayed faithfully and fervently for people to be healed and we've seen people healed that there's been marriages that have been hurting, that there's been broken marriages and communities of people have wrapped around these marriages and there's been restoration and healing in the marriages. That there's been need and you all have been generous and sacrificial with your time and your resources and where there was a need and a lack, there was now abundance. That you all have welcomed the stranger. You've included the isolated you have welcomed into your homes and into your lives children in the foster care system. That you have verbally proclaimed the good news of Jesus to your friends, your co-workers, and your neighbors that do not yet know him. And we've seen people come to saving faith in Jesus. You all have joined with jesus and participated faithfully in what he's doing and i want to say thank you and let us continue to participate in what jesus is doing in the world as his disciples as his apprentices and so as we close this morning andrew and john asked jesus where he was abiding because they wanted to be with him But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to abide with us. And he still abides with us through the gift of his Holy Spirit. See, in the same way that Jesus discipled Andrew, John, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel, we can be discipled by Jesus today because he is alive and he invites us to be with him, to become like him, and to participate in what he's doing in the world. And so as we close, we come to the elements, to partake of communion, where the bread represents Christ's body that was given for us, and the wine or the juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. And as we take communion this morning, we don't just do it to remember Jesus. We do it to celebrate and anticipate the day when Jesus will return to fully restore heaven and earth, when they will meet and there will be reconciliation and we will see Jesus and we will feast with him at his banquet table. And so let us celebrate the reality that because of Jesus' body and blood, we're united with him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are alive. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the gift of your spirit that you enable us to follow you faithfully as your disciples. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you help us to follow you faithfully, even in the midst of a culture that is shaping us and forming us, Lord, that we would cling to you, that we would be shaped and formed more by you than the ways of the world. Jesus, you are good to us. It's in your holy and powerful name we pray, amen.